This episode is brought to you by Wondrium. For a free trial of unlimited access, go to wondrium.com slash probably. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. Probably science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Cash. I'm Jesse Case. Oh, we didn't, uh, we absolutely crushed it. That was crushed the it. most. It's ideal. hard going back from two to three. Um, it's re- it's hard. Yeah, well, when we're not in the same room. Well, no, you and we haven't paid for one of the more expensive streamers where you can see each other. Well, you videos. guys had a good rhythm going. It was like it was just you two for a long time. So whoever talked first, it was the next one just just went after. And now it's a, it's right. a chaos. It's pure carnage. It's, um, when I moved back home, when I had to move in with my parents like five years ago. Uh, it was like extremely obvious that they hadn't, they had been used to not having someone else in the house for like a decade, you know? Um, <laughs> so I just saw them naked, like constantly. They would just, they just leave doors open. Um, and I would just like constantly see my dad naked. It was brutal. Anyway, that's my story. We have a g- does, <laughs> does he still have it? Does he? Yeah. Still got what it takes. Oh yeah. yeah no, still very, very hot. Um, obviously you guys know I've got the if hottest had- dad around. If, if you had to choose between seeing uh, Lizard or um, Stu naked on a regular basis. I would go with Lizard just because Stu, uh, I mean, we, we've we discussed Stu naked. It's, it's, you can't, you can't unsee it. His penis is too big, um, like annoyingly big for like his brain, it, you know, and it's just, it's not fair. Nothing's fair. It's like the type of nudity that makes you like mad at humanity, you know? Right. Um, do we have a guest? We should. Yeah. Let's introduce our guest. <laughs> we, we finally, finally, thanks to lo- recording remotely through lockdown, we finally overcome geographic limitations and general busyness, and we have completed the Grolic set with with the excellent, hilarious Andrew Obadell. Hey, Andrew. Thank you for having me. What an honor <laughs> yeah. to be here on Roommate Penis Talk. Were those your... <laughs> Was that your old yeah, you roommate? Were, so, yeah, so yeah, I, I remember. So Andy, yeah. before you moved in, um, Andrew and and uh, you know the 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 family Orvidal uh, came and stayed in that room. And wasn't there a situation where Stu was just hanging out outside? Yeah, very very creepy. We took a nap. <laughs> I, I was married at the time, and we took a nap in like the guest room. And uh, straight out of a thriller or horror movie, I got up and there was like uh, shadowed feet on the other side of the door to the guest room, like someone standing on the other side of the door. And I was just kind of like looking at it and I was like, somebody's out there, but they didn't like knock. And uh, if I remember right, I went over as I was like crossing the room, the person left and I opened the door and I somehow figured out that it yeah it was that guy i remember i went and talked to you jesse of like did you need something to that and it was we just did we just oh, determined God. that he was just hanging outside of the door while we yeah. slept uh yeah. truly unsettling. yeah that guy was pretty brutal <laughs> anyway good to hear about that guy's <laughs> yeah <also>. just a <laughs> giant well he was naked all the time what he would sleep eat in the kitchen like he would he would sort of sleepwalk into the kitchen and eat like just like a bowl of microwave cheese, you know, and um, yeah. <laughs> it's true. He did that. And I so I would see him naked all the time because I guess he, he slept naked. And um, good God, this guy, the just the <laughs> whoa, 
You know what I mean? It was like livestock. <laughs> like it's like, what are you? <laughs> Holy shit! It's he also. <laughs> He also refused to like close his door when he slept or lock it. So we'd have people over sometimes. And before we put that sign up on the bathroom door, people would walk into what you would presume is the bath, like the layout of the house. That's where the bathroom kind of should be is yeah. his bedroom. And he'd always get <laughs> mad at us. I'm like, all you have to do is close your door and it has a lock. Like, I like to yeah. sleep with the door open, young Jesse. Oh, no, young Jesse is what but Brendan I, would say. I think say, that he liked oh See, God. I think he liked it. I think he liked people. I mean, because this thing, I had yeah. like blocked. Yeah, I had blocked out the thing that happened where he was just hanging outside of your door. I had like blocked that out mentally. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think he liked leaving the door open a little bit. Get some people in there. Yeah, the old Venus flytrap, the old stew trap. Yeah. Mm, Why you're in here. (laughs) Mm, I uh, filmed a sketch one time and it's while he was at work. He worked at a furniture store, uh, like an office furniture store. And... um, I filmed a sketch one time and while he was at work, used his room like without his permission, you know, to, to, to just film where it looks like somebody in an office, like on a computer, you know, and filmed it at his desk. And uh, as my buddy Brent and uh, so Brent was like actually just sort of tooling around on the Internet and saw his search history. And he's oh, like, uh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I can't. <laughs> Didn't he ask you for help to buy a new keyboard? Because he was like, Jesse, I got a little too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We had, no, we had to go to Best Buy because his keyboard was too cummy. And we we went to Best Buy and he thought you could haggle at Best Buy. So he's like, he's like, uh, I need a new keyboard. Um, You know, just give, give me a good price, huh? And they're like, yeah, it's okay. So so it's it's seventy nine ninety nine. It says right there. It's, he's like, yeah, 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 I understand. But go in the back. Just Just give me a good price. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, yeah. those two. Why we, did y'all move out? What I know. a great guy! Because Mimi Rogers bought yeah. the house. <laughs> That's actually true. Yeah. That's not who lives there now. She was flipping houses at the time at Tom Cruise's ex-wife, Mimi Rogers, of Austin Powers yes. fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I didn't. Just, oh, sorry. Go I, ahead. Well, I just I can't believe um, I've had the good fortune to have those two as roommates, and now to have Tony and Nancy as neighbors because the four of them together. That sitcom, it would never get made because no one would believe it, but it would be the most amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. You have <laughs> a brutal, I mean, well, we also had the people. It's not like we had great neighbors at that place. You no, know, they they hated they us. Hate, they would not make eye contact no, with us. No, yeah, we were the only renters. I remembered. Yeah, I remembered even coming to visit that house. The vibe was unpleasant. Yeah, for sure. not. Yeah, welcome. sorry, sorry about unless, that. Unless, unless, <laughs> unless they needed uh, sports scores on a Friday after sundown, and then suddenly they were, they uh, yeah, were friendly then they with us. then they would talk to us. But it was um, that's weird. <laughs> well, they were Orthodox Jewish. Yeah. Oh, right. They were. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So and um, but like real hardcore. You know, I would see things on our street all the time, like like that scene in The Godfather where it would be like two people on a date, like courting. And they'd be walking down the street and then the both families would just be following them like 20 feet behind them. And I'm just like, this is what what the fuck is it? Like, uh, so one thing that happens, I assume when you can't use electricity right on the Sabbath, you probably want to play some board games. Andrew, uh, are you uh, what's uh, (laughs) no, I've seen I've seen on Twitter. (laughs) Amazing segue. Yeah. Amazing. That's right. When the power's out, (laughs) when cities 
are without power in the future. I will be king with my board game empire. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I was, I was getting into board game design before the pandemic hit, but I have really been able to invest a lot of time, uh, into it since then. And I created my own little company called Occupied Hex Games. And that's, uh, that's where I spend a lot of my time and energy that's, these days. That's the coolest. Making games. Like yeah. what? It's a beautiful website, by the way. Oh, thank you. I paid someone else to do it. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> it would not be that way if thank I did Thank you it. so much. That's a different company with the same name. I did not look into. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should have checked. <laughs> I uh, just kind of surf behind them and get their tape <laughs> yeah. scraps. I've, I've started a board game company called Volvo, and um, <laughs> um, there's nothing they can do about it. There's literally nothing. No. So, nope. I mean, how did you get into board? Ga- First of all, what does Occupy Hex mean, and how did you get into board game design? You say pre-pandemic. How does one? I mean, I guess it's obvious that like you could just design your own board game. But it's like it's like how before you start comedy, you don't know it's a thing people can just go do like in their city. You think you're like, you know what I mean? You're like, there are five comedians and they were totally. born. Yeah. Comedian. And they're always that funny. <laughs> yeah. And I th- and they're always uh, every single set is totally yeah. new and they have never repeated a joke. And, in well, life. I think yeah. about that like board <laughs> games like you can't just make one and then you're like, yeah, yeah you can. So how does that uh, you bo- yeah, yeah, yeah board games are things similar. that you inherit from your grandparents. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, always existed. Yeah, well, no, you, <laughs> that you just can't bring yourself. They've to been around away. since before um, time, and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, well, first off, the term occupied hex is a game term. It's used in uh, board games sometimes and in role playing games. It just kind of means uh, it describes a space that is occupied by something, usually that you can't enter or whatever. It's just a term that I've seen in games, and I like that as a name for the company. But much like comedy, uh, for most of my life, I only knew about the surface-level board games, the games that we all know, Monopoly, Sorry, Life, etc., Uno, whatever. The games that everyone has kind of gathering dust on their shelves. But then somehow I stumbled into the... The greater world of board games, where there there's a lot of independent board games and small companies making games. A lot of this stuff I find on Kickstarter, and just seeing that world, I was like, oh, wow, you don't have to be one of the big shots at Parker Brothers to make a board game. You don't you have to be named Milton. Make your own board Milton game. Milton or Bradley. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just kind of having my eyes open to this greater board game scene where there are crazy crazy board games very dense games that take many hours to play and have an insane amount of components and you really have to have a brain i think that's wired for that because people fucking hate it those are the kind of games that i okay. make but i have games okay. like that and I'll invite people over like, hey, you want to play this game? It takes about four and a half hours to play. We will almost definitely lose the game. And <laughs> there are like 400 pieces. You'd be surprised or not. How and many you have to be able to count in prime decline. numbers. Yeah. I, I think it's funny that like uh, the big board game companies also have one thing that counts as a board game, but it's not like uh, like Milton Bradley. They just also have Ouija boards. And it's like. 
It's like you're there. They've got sorry. They've got trouble. They've got all that stuff. And then like a thing where you can talk to ghosts. Talk to spirits. Yeah. Check this out. My daughter just got a Ouija board. She's 12. She was obsessed with Ouija boards. Her mom got her one for Halloween. She used it with her friend. The Ouija board apparently told her that I was going to strangle her to death the following Monday. So I get... Well, that blew that one then. Yeah. (laughs) I get this 11.30 p.m. text from my daughter who's very upset that uh, the spirit board... Has warned her that I'm going to murder her. So super cool toy. Well, Can't recommend well, it enough for kids. How do, how do you um, politely tell the daughter that her friend is a sadist? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, Don't, who like, did you hang out yep. with? Why was she? Yeah, she was with her friend Cam, who apparently thinks pretty low <laughs> yeah. of me overall. Why would a Ouija um, board tell me that Andrew has a small dick? Why? And Cam's like, yeah. oh, it's spirits. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, I've just remembered about about two weeks ago, your, you had a tweet that really got to me about letting your kid watch The Descent. Yeah, because she's into <laughs> horror movies and she was complaining that none of them are scary. She's a real tough customer these days, um, and she was saying how none of the scary movies that she's been shown were scary, and um, I was doing a horror movie challenge for my own podcast, so The Descent was, yeah. like, which, foremost in my mind. Which, by the way, that's The, the Grolic Saves the World, which is a great yeah. podcast. Thanks. Yeah, it's a little comedy podcast I do, and we had a horror movie challenge we were doing, and so that movie being my favorite horror movie was at the forefront of my mind, and I was like... All right, you want to watch something scary? Let's watch this. And boy, did it work. (laughs) (laughs) She was so scared. She was too scared to leave the room and go get water. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. I think you phrased it on Twitter. I was going to hear it. I was like, wow, you don't always know when you fuck up as a parent, but this was a big one. Yeah, I was like, well, I succeeded in showing her a scary movie uh, as a huge mistake. And then, of course, the next day in the shelter of sunlight, she was like, it really wasn't that scary. I was like, you were terrified. You were so scared. Um, That's definitely top top five for actual scare. I just rewatched The Thing this week because I didn't know there was a remake in 2011 or a prequel. Oh, yeah. But it's still called The Thing. That's an it's you. It's yeah, weird. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They did match up the endings pretty well. Like I don't know if you remember the beginning of the Kurt Russell one when there's a Norwegian helicopter chasing a dog. Totally, yeah. Shooting at they they found the exact same helicopter. They end nice. so you could watch them seamlessly and it would actually flow right into that scene. Reanimate yeah. to the dog. That's totally cool. People hated on that on that new prequel one, but it, I thought it was better. It's than pretty the, good. Than well, you deserved. support any film yeah. where people shoot at huskies. Like <laughs> As a yeah, husky owner, yeah, you exactly. support. I get it. I, if I, I wish I had a helicopter to shoot at my dog. It's no. <laughs> the, the weirdest billionaire. Um, release the huskies. <laughs> I, I give them laser tag vests and I shoot at them with laser tag guns. They it's cathartic it. for me. And the dogs are fine. Yeah. They love it. They love the game. By the way, I, t- I t- bet t- a dog really would actually love laser tag. Like a, oh, like, a cat would, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, a cat would go mental. Did you that Laser Cats SNL short from like ten years ago? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrew, I want to go back to the board games for a little bit because I uh, have gotten into them in the last few years, mostly thanks to past guest Grant Lyon, who also designs tabletop games and 
hosts game nights with these aforementioned four-hour slogs, which I, you know, <laughs> with the right people, they're super fun. And he's yeah. got a range of all the He does kinds. mix it up as well when he does the games nights. He'll yeah. chuck in some short and easier ones and... But yes. But I'm curious, nice. how do you, when you're starting one, you're like, well, I want to, I like the mechanic of this certain other one. It's going to center around a similar mechanic. Or like, what's the first thing when you're making a, a new game? Yeah, I'd say it's either the theme or the mechanic. I'll be like, oh, that would be a cool mechanic. I don't think I've seen that in a game. Or it's like a theme like, oh, I've never seen a game centered around this theme. It's usually one of those two. And then I just kind of try to develop the theme and the mechanics so that they really work uh, well together. But most of the games I've been working on are they're pretty light. They're, uh, there's some strategy involved. I like games where instead of using a game board that's like, you know, kind of a static asset and the players can eventually learn the quote-unquote best paths on it, so to speak... Uh, I like games where you make the game board using cards right. or, like, tiles of some sort. So every game, the board can be totally different um, strategy-wise. So a lot of my games employ that mechanic. And, um, yeah, I just try to think of themes that I haven't seen in games before. I have a game where you're trying... The players are basically in a race to take a picture of Sasquatch. There is a Sasquatch <laughs> creature that appears on the game board that you create and roams around and vanishes back into the woods. And you have to try to line up a picture and be the first one back to the car with the picture. So it's kind <laughs> of like a theme that is fun and I have not seen represented in games Wonder before, why. But it's also it's crazy. A, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have an anti big No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm no, that's I I would I would play a Sasquatch <laughs> photography game all that'd be awesome. Could you draw like a skeptic card that uh, negates the you entire You just don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> you just win the game. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, he drew the nope card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he has a day job. He's doing fine. Oh, well. Um so yeah, I kind of think it usually comes from one of the of those two ideas. The the thing that's always puzzles me about game design is how you how you make it balanced. Right, right. How how you cuz that seems to be the hardest part of a game is it's one thing coming up with you know different player tokens and attributes and strengths or different rules for different parts of the game but then making it so that you know, if two different people are playing different characters that have different strengths and weaknesses, that's still balanced. Or whoever goes first doesn't have an overwhelming advantage or any of those kind of, any, any of those sort of things that make, just to make it sort of provably playable. Totally. Yeah, that is the hardest part, I think. Because I, I like a high level of asymmetry in my games for the characters so that when you're playing, you feel kind of unique instead of everyone sharing the exact same power set. So yeah, that, that adds a whole nother layer of of balancing issues. And also, it's like one thing, there's like a weird intangible between a game being balanced and a game being balanced and fun. Like there's, <laughs> and you can only get that information from playtesting. Like I have this math genius buddy who will give me like the actual numerical data on a game and like mm. odds and stuff and be like, yeah, it's, it's pretty much balanced. It's balanced within you know, the range that you want. And then you play it and it's like, oh, this feels like frustrating and stymieing. And so sometimes just by playtesting it, I'll figure out like, okay, it actually needs to be kind of weirdly imbalanced in certain areas so that the fun can kind of break through and it's it's better than just 
kind of the cold void of balanced math that you're that you're interacting with right um but yeah you can only get that from playtesting and just getting people's honest opinion which can be tricky because people don't like to be when they're your friends especially it's like so did you like the game they're like oh yeah it's pretty fun it's like no no, tell me everything (laughs) that you hated about it that's what i need to hear yeah no you did a good job over these last five months of work (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's fine yeah it's fine it's It's fine. fine looked like you were having fun up there yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I fucking hate that comedy. That comedy. The, the Andrew is handsome and wins card was a little weird. Seems. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to throw throw that in there. Um, that is. A, there are a lot of irreverent games out there these days. I think that the people who did like exploding kittens and stuff definitely paved the way for a lot of much wackier irreverent stuff. I I come across games now that. That has stuff like that. Like, if you're the handsomest person at the table, raise your hand and say, I won the game, and you won the game. It's like, th- okay, this. <laughs> I guess this could be a game. Wow. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> what are some existing ones you didn't make that you're a fan of right now? Hmm. Boy, I have a lot of games, much to my girlfriend's chagrin. There's this game, Nemesis, that I can't get anyone to play with me. It's basically like, it's basically unlicensed alien. It's like oh, cool. a a game where you're trapped in a spaceship with these aliens, and it's it's very difficult. You can play it solo, which is nice. That seems to be like a staple with a lot of modern board games, is they have a solo mode, which hmm. is usually really innately sad to be even if the game works just to be sitting there like hey i'm kicking this <laughs> this deck of cards ass there's something to me that's innately sad i played about strip it. solitaire is... <laughs> <laughs> just horrible. well i mean Stu was yeah, watching yeah. so was it technically that <laughs> that's so low but uh i really like uh, Nemesis, there's a game called Unmatched I'm a big fan of. It's out by Mondo Games. Um, I'd recommend Unmatched to anybody. It's, like, fast to play. And there's a bunch of sets, and they all can play together. Uh, there's, like, legends like King Arthur and Medusa. And there's also, like, Bruce Lee or uh, Little Red Riding Hood, Beowulf. And you can kind of battle them, and it's just fun to... It's like, well, who would win between King Arthur and Bruce Lee? You can... You can actually find that out by playing. Right, and, Bru- the game. and Bruce Lee is the um, answer. Bruce Lee is kind of an overpowered character. I'll just say that. <laughs> they clearly wanted him to be. They wanted him to be a fan favorite. Um, this is not a response to Tarantino or anything. Wasn't that a big? Was that a big thing when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out when they had yeah, Brad Pitt's stuntman character knock him out? I didn't actually watch that movie, but yeah, I heard that there, yeah, that that was a scene in there. Yeah, it was released around that same time. One so. of my uh, favorite weirdest uh, jokes, Andrew, of yours, of which there are like, you know, there are a few comedians where it's just I, I just like memorize their act, you know, and I'm just, and I know, I know your act is always changing, but we work together a lot, you know. Well, that. <laughs> in fact, let me get a pencil to jot down this joke. I've definitely forgotten. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the thing where you you just you take the mic clip on the mic stand and make somebody grab it and you tell them that's what it feels like to shake hands with a Lego man. And, <laughs> and it's so funny to me. But then the first time I went to your house in Denver, there's just Lego everywhere. Now, I was wondering, are you still an adult fan of Lego? Are you still in the <laughs> AFOL community? Are you still an enthusiast? 
uh, no, actually, the Lego collection evolved into the board game collection. I guess somehow they scratched the same sure part of my brain that likes miniature things. But yeah. um, I I still have a decent Lego collection, but I definitely gave away more than half of it to children who actually deserve to have it. Um, well, that's so, I mean that's a yeah. I kind of replaced the Legos with with board games, but yeah, I, I still have. I still have a good Okay, amount. so you're but you're not keeping up with the current line. So 2022, 2020. No, lines. no, I haven't bought Legos in a very Ugh. long time. My house is tiny and it, all the space is board sure. games. All the shelf sure. space. It's it's board All right. Games. That's fair. Also Warhammer figures. I got into Warhammer 40K as if I could not sink deeper into the swamps of nerd shit. I got into <laughs> Warhammer 40k Wargaming, um, which also consumes a massive amount of space because they're delicate little yeah. models. You can't just like throw them all in a in a box. But are those yeah. the things that interact somehow with an actual like software game through a pedestal they sit on? Is that something? What am I thinking of? That's not that. No, right? but there is there's video games that do that. There is a game called Disney Infinity that does that. And uh, no, uh, Warhammer is a just a tabletop uh, war game from. Great Britain, I believe, from Games Workshop. It's been around forever. It's kind of the standard in tabletop wargaming. You use dice and you just kind of battle it out with your armies. It takes a very long time to finish a game, but um, yeah, it's, it's been around quite a bit. It's like Space Marines and Aliens and stuff. The interesting thing I didn't know about Games Workshop stuff is it's all the plastic model kits are made in England, which is very funny to me to picture some kind of... <laughs> like square jawed cap wearing factory worker uh going off to work at the games workshop little <laughs> alien toy model factory um but yeah they don't uh oh it's not they're, they're made by our orphans oh that makes more sense <laughs> <laughs> just a dickensian or <laughs> yeah sorry churning out the i mean that lines up with the games workshop philosophy that i've seen so yeah that's <laughs> true that work is grueling and by that i mean they're paid in gruel <laughs> yes uh oh well, we, we are running yeah, matt you go ahead oh what were oh. you gonna say oh, well i was gonna ask uh andrew <laughs> yep, the question yep. we always ask our guests we've we've got closest to yep. it but what if anything is your background in science and that's ranged from classes you liked or hated as a kid to uh blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends yeah, my background in science, I, I always felt like science, I enjoyed science classes, but I always felt like they were just a little bit above my my understanding. Like, I definitely like the surface level sexy shit of science of like, oh, we're doing this experiment. We're, we're freezing vegetables with liquid nitrogen and smashing them with a hammer. I'm like, yes, I do like science. But then we get into <laughs> like something... Uh, more conceptual and I'm yeah. very hard. Now let's find it. out with equations why it's smashed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say I am a, a shallow science aficionado. All of the science accounts that I follow online, all the science news that I get from aggregators is definitely of the flashy, uh, exciting variety and less of the substantial variety. Um but like, I have a I have a uh, respect for science, something that maybe is rare in America. <laughs> these days. I do have a genuine uh, respect for it. I think it is a very cool, very cool discipline in general. 
I, I think we are definitely oversold as kids how much smashing frozen vegetables scientists do. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I know we have a lot of, we, we have a fair number of real scientist listeners and just actually, I, I we get we get cool emails and corrections and clarifications from our listeners all the time. But just on average, on in an average week, how many liquid nitrogen frozen vegetables would you say you smash with a hammer? In fact, <laughs> I would say comedians smash more vegetables with hammers. <laughs> I would say yeah. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're probably I think st- right. Statistically, it would, be, <laughs> <laughs> it would be so rewarding, though. I bet to be a scientist working in a lab on some research project, and for some reason, I don't know what it would be, <laughs> but you do need to freeze something and smash it with a hammer for the, <laughs> for the data. Be like, yes, this is why I got into this. <laughs> it was. It was as we well, promised. Like, I'm a huge fan of science um, stuff. Like, like I mean, the actual gear. Can we can we just clip that yeah. sound? Uh, <laughs> yep. I mean, that's the it. trailer for the pod. It's just yeah, that. I'm a huge fan of science <laughs> stuff. stuff. No, no. <laughs> so, Matt, Thanksgiving's coming up. Um, do you do you do you guys do that in the UK? I would assume. I would assume not. Uh, no. Why? Why would we? <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, at some it's point, a, it's a sad day for it's a Thursday. But yeah, like we should be furious. At yeah. The whole. Wait, did you say Saturday or sad day? A sad day. It's a sad, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a sad. We, we should be, we should be mad at the pilgrims and anyone who helped them in their evil quest. Oh, you mean because they bailed? They bailed on England. Yes, I mean, like, splitters. They, they got yeah. They took off. Um, yeah. If you guys want to know uh, what America is all about, we were we were founded by people that found Henry VIII too liberal. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that explains a lot of what's going on these days. Well, Matt. Uh, let me tell you something. Um, you probably, if you're over, I mean, I guess, you know, you're over here and everything now and, uh, you may, might want to, maybe, maybe you're thinking about doing some cooking, um, for, uh, the uh, American holiday of Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, what are you going to do if you're struggling with that? How are you going to learn how to do it? Uh, I don't know. I guess I probably just, uh, look up Thanksgiving in my dictionary and see if it tells me anything I need to know from that. Oh, well, did you know, Matt, that you can learn how to cook the perfect Thanksgiving turkey? The perfect. I'm talking the perfect Thanksgiving perfect. turkey. Yeah, and that's from uh, that's from Chef Kallenberg's method of brining and cooking the perfect, I say, Thanksgiving turkey. That's going to be over on OneDream.com, you guys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there, is there anything they don't have? I, I, I've been looking up the power of body language because, as you know, I tend to walk into a room and immediately cower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. And apparently, that's not that's not the right thing to do. Yeah, you can be you can be too passive walking into a room, but you can also be too overconfident. Like if you walk in immediately, crotch first. Right. Not good. <laughs> not right. like crotch first, legs spread, and just like crab walk into the room. Also bad. I like so to do this superhero um, landing on the ground with uh, one hand in the air, one hand on the ground, crouch down. As if, oh yeah, the, the fist yes. the and fist just launch land. into the room. Yep. So these yeah. these are all things you can learn, and also more conventional body language things, including micro expressions, decoding the face. So that I need I need to know all about that because I I have no poker face, and my <laughs> uh, my face immediately gives away what I'm thinking. Well, that that's how you can tell if people are actually enjoying your perfect Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah, if you're just <laughs> being polite, you know. But that is one of the many many videos on just about any any topic you care to think about on Wondrium.com. That is our sponsor. We love them. I know you do too. I know a bunch Sound, of you have signed uh, up. Sounds expensive, Matt. Well, well, Jesse, Jesse, you can you get a about? free trial. 
courtesy of their sponsorship arrangement with us if you go to wondrium.com slash probably. That is a free trial of all these videos on all these different subjects. By the way, one of you, I can't remember, I don't know whether it was which of you just mentioned just before we went on air that they have a, a veterinary uh, veterinary school for everyone caring yeah, for I, cats and dogs. I haven't looked looked it up. I, mean, I haven't watched it yet. I was just very I've just I've just had a look at it. And now, pr- presumably, you still have to take some sort of exam somewhere. I don't yeah, think I, you're no, supposed I, to I, practice. This is, this is like yeah. th- this is not going to get you to the level of being a full on professional veterinarian, but it will. It gives you a much better idea of how to look after your cats and dogs. As I know, we, both Jesse and I have cats in our lives, and we there's do. probably plenty of things that we do not know. So you can find that. Uh, and you can you can listen to them. You can uh, as podcasts as you're driving around through the app, or you can watch them as videos on your computer, on your TV. Well, yeah, but if there's no way to switch between the two, I'm not going to do it. You Matt. can jump between them. It'll pick up where you left off. It has oh, everything wow. covered. All these different videos and classes and courses and all sorts and and documentaries. Again, selected for selected for their expertise of communication. That's uh. Of wow. all the things for me to stumble on just then. Well, I think <laughs> Wondrium is something we can all give thanks for this season. <laughs> that um, is true. Wondrium.com slash probably for a free trial. Go to W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. <laughs> I mean, what, what I mean is like, a, like, like an orrery. I've always wanted to own an orrery, you know? That's a lot of... Uh, R's. How how do you spell O R R E R Y, and it, it's one of the mechanical models of the solar system that where it, it but it all like, I mean it's it's extremely steampunky, you know, but they have them that are really advanced within the moons orbit the planets and you know it's like a whole thing, and um, oh yeah, those are cool. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I love I love stuff like that, and I would imagine most people that get into the sciences. It's like they imagine they're going to have some cool office with ancient tomes and uh, strange specimens. And then it's just like, yeah, you're sitting around and zooming with people about something. And it's it's like, (laughs) this sucks, you know? So, yeah, if you're if you're a scientist, write us in about the sexy stuff you do. Well, not literally. That's your that's your business. That's probably science. That's your business. But but, you know, the uh, the more. The stuff that you thought science would Exciting be, stuff. you know. I mean, yeah, my a- brother is a scientist. He's a researcher. He has two medical degrees, and he gets published in like research journals, and it's a very big deal in his world. And he'll tell us, and he'll like give us a copy of them, and it is like absolutely worthless in my hands. I'm like, I do not understand anything in this, but obviously, you know, he's proud of it. It's like yeah, a big deal. But I see it's him, in print, but- and your name is is there exactly. in the credits. <laughs> it's like. I believe it. Okay. Uh, uh, Titers has the word tit in it. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty nice. Yes, exactly. Big fan. If you would, if I was to guess what an orrery was, I would have guessed a habitat for owls. That just yeah. it sounds right. like that's what it would be. Yeah. Now I know. Now I know. But these things are so, I mean, so crazily out of scale as to be like is that even that useful as a tool like because i think so many kids do grow up with this like intuition that this is sort of what the solar system looks like and then when you see someone do a rendering of just how vast all of the distances oh yeah yeah and therefore how small everything seems in it's it's uh sobering yeah you couldn't make a scale or i imagine but well, no, that was, in fact, did did your teachers ever do 
that is a demonstration like uh, I don't know, like a football when, field. Yeah, or a like pitch. when you're ki- exactly when you're a kid, and they just go like, you get one of the kids to stand somewhere and go like, okay, you're the sun, and if this is a scale, you kind of like send one of the other kids just to the end of the field, going like, keep going, keep going, keep going. All right, now you're Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> no. If even like, you're that, the, you're if the, it's the first size of a kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're the first planet. And, no, yeah. I never had a teacher. Well, that I, tree I never over had there. A teacher. That- I don't see any scale orries. You'd think I mean, that somebody had pulled off something, no- but nope. To, to fit in your to fit in your office, the sun would have to be like way smaller than a marble, and then even then, the you know the Saturns and Jupiters would be in a different house, like or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's gonna be something yeah. insane. Yeah. That's so weird. I, well, I had a teacher that would do that with dinosaurs, like with um, like to conceive like how big a brontosaurus was, you know. So it'd be like keep walking, go down there. So like you know, I'm the tail, and then okay, that's how big it would be. Um, I'm bummed uh, when you started telling that story. I imagined she'd had the kids pile onto each other till they became the roughly the size of a brontosaurus. No, that'd be cool. Like instead of a human pyramid, like a human dino. <laughs> yeah, just a weird human dinosaur. Yeah, and that was her first and last day teaching. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of kids crushed. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad news. Yeah, I had your teacher was Travis Scott. That's wow. Insane. Terrible. Sorry. I had a teacher one time that uh, (laughs) tried to teach us how packed slave ships were. Oh, what? Like how. Oh, yeah. Like how compact. You know what I mean? Like how incredibly crammed in people were um, and made us all. I mean, that is a valid, important thing to teach kids that maybe they might not be taught particularly in the well, south. Well, yeah, right, the reason she brought it up is because, you know, we're learning about learning about slavery and the artist rendering she's like, "Okay, this artist rendering is bullshit. It's like a pro-slavery artist rendering that makes it look humane." You know, and then she Why is there a Lido deck? Yeah. And then, right, and on. then she pulled up like the yeah. actual Who's the comedian? She pulled out <laughs> the actual layouts of like how they would use 100% of the space to get as many humans as possible. Yeah, like firewood. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and then made us, like, Ugh. made us, like, do that. Um, wow. You've changed my mind about slave ships, Jesse. <laughs> I know you were always... <laughs> you've done it. I know you always thought they were yeah, the height of, of comfort. Revisionist historians. Yeah. 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 Also, Andy's always looking for cheap ways to travel. Mm. <laughs> this is true. It's true. It's true. Um... Hey, speaking uh, of horrible things for spices, did you guys see Dune? No, I have <laughs> not, not yet. yet. No. I did, yeah. What, what'd, you, what'd you think? You a Dune guy? Yeah, I like Dune. I like the world. I have the unpopular opinion. I like the David Lynch version, too. I like all the weird things that he added. Yeah. I, I think it adds to the the unique feel of the world. I never hated that movie like a lot of people do. This new one is real... I don't want to spoil anything. I, well, I don't know if I can spoil anything because the stories, we're all very familiar with it. But it's so, like, aesthetically cold, that director's yeah. style. He's always so kind of keeps things so chilly. But I like that in sci-fi movies, so I liked it. I like the world that he made, yeah. for sure. The thing that bothered me about the new one is, and this is not a spoiler plot thing at all, don't worry. Um, it seems like the casting, it was like they just literally plugged into a computer program who is the most fuckable of every demographic <laughs> and then put- yeah jesse do you know how they make uh, movies? well <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you ever seen a, a have movie? You seen a, have you seen a movie before? <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm, I mean, it's like... Jesse Case blowing the entertainment industry wide right, open right. now. No, I just mean it's like, it. it I mean, Oscar Isaac next to, the you know, Zendaya next to... It's yeah. just like, literally, they figured out, okay, with this casting, 7.3 billion humans will want to fuck someone in the film. Yeah, I mean, my... The inclusion of Zen- Zendaya made my daughter want to see it. She could care less about Dune. She, I have a Dune board game. She never wants to play it. She was like, Dune's stupid. Uh, and she saw the trailer that Zendaya was in it, and she's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'd watch that. And so she did. We went and saw it, and she's like, oh, I actually really like that. Well, so, she was just trying to uh, take the descent off her mind. She's like, anything <laughs> ab- above ground, Jesus Christ. Any, anything to overwrite <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. Well, while we are talking about underground stuff, by the way, uh, this is now the third episode in a row we've mentioned this, but I think this is the new 3D printers in that we're just going to keep getting emails about this now. We've been sent yet another hidden passageway secret door link by, <laughs> this time by, by listener Joel Rouge, who sent us the website hiddenpassageway.com. With the note that I've had this business bookmarked in my web browser for years in case I win the lottery. Okay, well, so uh, a- Andrew, just to tell you what was going on is uh, we've been discussing, of course, how cool it would be to have one of those bookcases that leads to a secret room where you pull down a book mm-hmm. and then yes. posited how much it would actually cost, and it's not that much. It's like thirty five hundred bucks. But this this website looks like it might be towards the higher end. What is of it? it? Secret? Because but also secretpassageways.com. Yeah. Hidden passage, hiddenpassageway.com. I just put it, the link in the show notes as well there. And, um, but they do, it looks like they do every kind. Like they'll do mirrors, they'll do stairways that fully lift up when you pull something. Wow. I love it. Yeah. That shit's my favorite. Remember the show Webster, how he oh, could get behind the clock? I yeah. mean, that was, that was formative for me. I mean, just think about the actual shooting of that and knowing how three three camera um, shows are made and just it means Webster is just now behind that clock until the scene's over. (laughs) (laughs) There's no second floor on this thing. And they have to keep uh, reshooting something because some costume isn't right. He's just kicking it behind the kicking it behind the clock. My first time at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2002, we took a show with just it was me and three other university friends. We, We basically. Between us, we maybe had a hundred gigs worth of experience. Uh, so we, we shouldn't have been going at all, but we found a venue that was the corner of a meeting room in a hotel that had been converted into a venue, had a capacity of 40, and backstage was just a curtain that kind of sectioned off the top, like the corner, uh, and the curtain didn't go all the way to the ceiling. So all of us just had to kind of like crouch behind a curtain for the 50 minutes that we went on stage. <laughs> it's just, and then emerge like we're emerging from a backstage room. But you can clearly see if you look at the place that there's just no, they're just like all the other three oh are just God. behind that curtain right now. And then you've got to say goodnight after doing your mediocre set <laughs> and then, and then go behind the curtain and sort of look like you're going into a thing. <laughs> it's like just, little magicians. No, re- this is. <laughs> Speaking of that, if I could go off on this tangent, one of the saddest, most amazing comedy stories I ever heard was at this club called Looney's. It's in Colorado Springs. Uh, there used to be this real road dog comedian named Ollie Joe Prater, who was I, a- I know the story you mean, and I'm going <laughs> to sit back and enjoy you telling it. And he was uh, a notorious uh, drunk. He was like uh, very much overweight, and it got to be a problem where 
it took him too long to get to the stage when the host would introduce him. <laughs> it just took forever, and it was an issue. So <laughs> they, I shouldn't even laugh. This is fucked up. But they devised a workaround <laughs> where they brought a couch onto the stage. They put Ollie Joe Prater <laughs> onto the couch. They gave him a bottle of Jack Daniels, and they covered it with a sheet. And then the rest of the comics did the show as normal. And when the, <laughs> and when the host... <laughs> Entered Ali Joe Prater. He also removed the sheet so that Ali Joe Prater could ascend like some sort of hillbilly vampire and do his set. Uh, <laughs> truly ter- terrifying. I heard this from the club owner's uh, own mouth, so it's hard to believe. But I was like, that is an amazing road uh, comedy. That's, what, that's <laughs> what they call the prestige, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> the the reverse of that story i've heard which it, my favorite bad gig story ever was a comic mike gunn in the uk who had a a corporate in a london hotel go incredibly badly to the point that he was telling them like you know he was telling them to fuck off they were telling him to fuck off like he just like well fuck you all left the stage and walked into the kitchen and then he's like how do i get out and they're like back through that door <laughs> I, like, well, I can't go back through that door there must be like some other way out they're like there is no other way out of this this room and you're on like the second floor <laughs> and then it, and then they were the only the only other thing in or out of here is the dumb waiter oh my god <laughs> so to avoid going back through the room he climbs into the dumb waiter and gets them to lower him to the ground floor <laughs> Except that whole exchange has taken so long that by the time he gets to the ground floor, a bunch of people from the gig have already made their way downstairs. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I have to see this guy just emerge from a oh cupboard. Oh my god. Yeah. Angrily uh, storming into the wrong space. Always funny. It's always funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like 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 storming out of an argument into a mop closet and slamming the door behind you. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is where I want yeah. <laughs> I meant to do all this. Do we? Steve Merchant used to close his sets doing that back in the way back in the day when he was doing stand up before The Office. Oh, where he'd, he'd, like he'd then he'd walk back he'd, across the stage and say wrong. He'd get yeah, he'd get like mad at the audience and storm off in a huff, and then he'd have to come back. I went the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have, I have, I have seen that. Have we? Uh, do we have any uh, science stories, you guys? Let's, uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> let's do some science stories. Nah, road comedy riffs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We've got a couple of animal stories. Ooh. We want to start oh, off. Actually, if, if you're looking at the, the dog one, uh, look at the date on that. I think we've actually covered that before. Well, there's a cat one, though. There's a cat oh, okay. one that Liam Kennedy Excellent. sent in. A, a fun article about cats tracking their owner's movements. Jesse and I both have cats in mm-hmm. our lives. And the findings of a Japanese study back the idea that cats retain a mental representation of their owners. Hmm. It. This Guardian article starts by saying, if you've ever pondered whether your pet cat, cat gives her whiskers about your whereabouts. Oh, oh. <laughs> Linda Geddes in, the, uh, in the Guardian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Linda. Research is, that ma- is that a saying? Giving a whisker about something? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Oh, this, so it wasn't, that wasn't yeah. like a forced pun. I mean, it was pretty forced, but it's also it's not a saying that is that commonly Modern. used, but it's, it's a little archaic. Uh-uh. It's a bit like gives two hoots. Okay. Right. right. Which do you is, do Americans story. say that? Yeah, yeah, I'll say yeah. Uh, yeah. give a hoot. We say don't, give. Yeah, a we don't give two. We don't. Not. It's an exchange rate thing with England with different hoots. Oh, yeah, you guys have more. <laughs> yeah, in Britain, just one hoot is not doesn't show any kind of commitment. Like people would give 
give one hoot without even thinking about it, but two hoots is really a sign that sure that you, you care. care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and three so, hoots, get out of here. Are we getting married? What's what happening? This is yeah. crazy. What? Three hoots, shame on me, I think <laughs> yeah. is the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only here for the wings anyway. It's a Hooters, okay. a Hooters joke, everybody. Guys, cats appear. <laughs> yeah. So this story actually does weirdly link to our conversations about secret passageways and the like. There you go. So cats appear to track their owners as they move about the house and are surprised if they turn up somewhere they're not expecting them. The finding supports the idea that cats retain a mental representation of their owners even when they can't see them, a crucial bridge to higher cognitive processes such as forward planning and imagination. Cats are notoriously inscrutable creatures. Although previous research has suggested that cats will search in the correct places if food is seen to disappear and expect to see their owner's face if they hear their voice. It was unclear how this ability translated into real life. Uh, Dr. Saho Ta Takagi at the University of Kyoto in Japan says, It's also said that cats are not as interested in their owners as dogs are, but we had doubts about this point. To investigate, they recorded what happened when 50 domestic cats were individually shut inside a room and repeatedly heard their owner calling their name from outside, followed by either a stranger's voice or that of their owner coming through a speaker on the opposite side of the room they were inhabiting. Now, I, I have to interrupt. No, we, we, I have to assume this took place separately, one at a time. There's not someone that owned 50 cats. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that, that's how they, they were able to do order. the... Uh... They, they put this guy's 50 cats in a room. <laughs> yeah. And that owner was also able to confirm that no similar research had ever been written up in over a thousand newspapers scattered around that same room. Wow. So, eight blinded human observers, that's blinded in a scientific study sure. sense, watch, in other words, they didn't know what it was they were meant to be looking for. They watched these recordings and ranked the cat's level of surprise based on their ear and head movements. Only when their owner's voices suddenly appeared inside the room, implying that they had somehow teleported there, did the cats appear confused. Implying that. <laughs> this study shows that cats can mentally map their location based on their owner's voice, says Takagi. It suggests that cats have the ability to paint the invisible, picture the invisible in their minds. Cats may have a more profound mind than it's thought. But, um, but it's not entirely surprising that cats possess this ability. Uh, Roger Tabor, a biologist, says... That awareness of movement, tracking things they cannot see, is critical to cat survival. He's also, he's an author and presenter of the BBC TV series, Cats. Yes. That's Roger Tabor. Have Which you I, seen that, Matt? I have not. It's It's been broadcast on the BBC after I was not around in the UK much, I is think. It, is, but it's not a musical. I don't believe so. <laughs> like, they're not just, they're, they didn't just find some guy that directs musicals. And they're like, what's your take on this article? <laughs> okay. So, uh, guys, a lot of what a cat has to interpret in its territory is an awareness of where other cats are. It's also important for hunting, you know? How could a cat catch a field vole um, moving around beneath the grass if it, d it couldn't use clues, such as the occasional rustle, to see in its mind's eye, where are they? A cat's owner is extremely significant in its life as a source of food and security, so where we are is very important. Hmm. He's a uh, Roger Tabor is also the author of Understanding Cat Behavior. Okay, well, well, that's the uh, catchy name of that. Anita book. Kelsey, uh, that's a UK feline behaviorist, and again, that's someone that studies the behavior of felines. This is not a cat behaviorist. Okay. <laughs> yes, um, Thank you. Thank or specifically a UK feline yeah, right, behaviorist. Right, <laughs> like Anita c couldn't give a fuck about a Spanish yeah, cat. Meow, bruv. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, uh, Anita Kelsey, a UK feline behaviorist and author of Let's Talk About Cats, said, Cats have a close relationship with us and most feel settled and safe within our company, so our human voice would be a part of that bond or relationship. When I'm dealing with cats that suffer separation anxiety, I usually do not advocate playing the owner's voice in the home, as this can cause anxiety with the cat hearing the voice but not knowing where their human is. Mm. I, this is a very interesting because now there's this whole market for these pet cameras with like speakers. So when you're gone, you can like see your pet and then you can like talk to them like through the intercom remotely. Through the yeah, app. some of them even let and you sort of fire a treat at them. Don't yeah, they? yeah you they're pretty cool. them. And I've always been curious, like, does this just like really weird out the animal and make them absolutely not understand what's happening? Or do they... They like it, it. I always kind of theorize. It only weirds them out if you like open it. with, um, would you like to play a game? And then <laughs> you... <laughs> you... Yeah. <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, yeah, I've never purchased one. Well, I've never purchased one because my dogs would absolutely destroy it in about two minutes. But, um, yeah, I was curious. I was curious. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. It, it does say in this article that the cats did not show the same surprise response when the owner's voices were replaced with cat meows or electronic sounds, possibly because cats do not tend to use voice as their primary means of communication with one and another. And they notoriously hate May- craft work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they mostly rely on other cues such as scent, apparently. Mm. And Takagi says, the meow that we used in this study is a voice signal that is only emitted to humans except for kittens. Cats may not be able to identify individuals from the meow of other individuals. Mm. Wait, they'll only meow at us? I guess this specific one, yeah. I did, I've never... That's that's the most interesting reveal of this article, I think. Because the other part, I'm still trying to figure out why they're saying all these things about mental spatial maps when it seems like what the findings are is cats can recognize their owner's voice. No, but the, the point of the experiment is the voice appears on one side of the... or like outside the room in one place... And then it suddenly is in a different room. So it's not its not just the voice by itself. It's the voice disappearing and reappearing somewhere else without having seen the human come through. And what they do that's surprising in reaction to that is just perk up? They, they show more sort of startled responses. Oh, to the not... So it, wait, is there a control where their owner is talking again from this from the predicted location and it doesn't have that effect is that they used a stranger i thought thought the the stranger was the control and then their owner right well that's not surprising though if they're more reacting to a voice they know but you're saying it's also the fact that like when the expected voice is in a new location there's a different level yeah yeah So, so, so so the way the way it works is the cats are in a room and on one side of the room they hear outside the room they hear their their owner's voice a couple of times and then, almost immediately afterwards, they suddenly hear their owner's voice again, but on the complete other side outside of the room. So it's like teleport that, like the, the human has teleported from one side to the other. And they either play the, the owner's voice a second time, or as the control, they play a different stranger's voice. And so when the humans hear, when the cats hear their owner's voice the first time, they don't sudden, they don't show surprise. Uh, and then when they hear the human's voice the first time and then a different voice on the other side of the room, they don't show surprise. When they see, when they hear the human's voice, their owner's voice on one side of the room, okay. and then immediately afterwards okay. their owner's voice again, but 
somewhere else. Implying a teleporter. That's okay. That's yeah, implying that like the human who they just put in their mental map is on the other, just on the other side of that wall is suddenly on the other side of the opposite wall. So it's it's a, it's a cat magic trick, basically. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. You're like, he just went into that cabinet, and now suddenly he's in the audience. Like, how's that happened? And you have to break it to the cat. It's always just twins. It's, it's just, just always, twins. every time. <laughs> and it's weird. There is, there's that whole rash of stuff on social media, too, and TikTok of people throwing up the sheet in the doorway and running away, and then the... Oh, the yeah, the magic trick for your dog. Yeah, and they'd kind of be like, huh? It's like... Congrats, you have outwitted one of the most intelligent things on earth. Your pug, well done, <laughs> Jesus. That's right. Didn't what you like? You you sort of stand in the hallway, don't you? And yeah. you, you throw up a sheet, and then while the sheet's right. in the air, you just like duck and then behind the dog's like huh? behind yeah. the door, like to the other side of the the door. And I was like, "Yep, that went exactly like I thought it would." Thanks for filming it. Thanks for showing. Yeah, us. you also really need to show the control experiment where you just throw a sheet up in the air and drop it, and then the dog will probably also just come along and sniff and look confused. <laughs> yes, like, like, why did she just throw that sheet up in the air? Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the thing. I just keep thinking about what we were talking about earlier. How this guy is doing this insane study and setting up speakers and recording voices and putting cats in rooms, and he just wants to be smashing vegetables. With a hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is his whole time. Right. He's like, how did this... This seems like one of those studies where if I were a scientist, I would have a few moments where I'm like, how how did this become my life? <laughs> like... I, you gotta be into yeah. cats. You gotta at least be... The I'm, I'm super gotta... into cats, but even then I'd be like, I didn't mean to go down this road. You know? <laughs> I had dreams. I'm a... <laughs> Fake meowing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. That'd be tough for me. Mm. Well, very interesting. What else? Uh, what we should get uh, one more in, you know? Yeah, yeah. At least I think we well, got time th- for a couple of more stories. This isn't a full story, but just something I texted Matt yesterday because uh, I think it's my least favorite um, science news headline in a long time, and it sort of ties in with our scary movie theme from a little bit ago. Um, let me just find it real quick. Uh, I, I, I've got it right here and ready. This is an article from the. CNN space science section <laughs> and this in there the conversation uh, <laughs> section this is written by Chris Impey although Chris Impey may not have written the headline I know sometimes Let's the headlines not implicate are not, that. yeah who knows yeah the headlines are often written by separate sub editors or other editors but the headline is scarier than a ghost black holes are regions in space where gravity is so strong that nothing can escape <laughs> Scarier than a ghost. <laughs> Thank By you, CNN. Such science. a magnitude. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, there's a tumbling about up in the attic. Oh, all of my known existence is being super collapsed into this black hole. <laughs> is that the sound of chains I hear? <laughs> there's there's such a range of scary it's Scarier things. than a ghost? Between those two. I mean, I guess yes, in the sense that one is real and one right. isn't. Like, also that. Just that. Yeah. I, I, that Andy, they used to think black holes weren't real. Okay, that's true. They, they, yeah, we've been talking about ghosts a lot lately, but it's like, that is the, like, what, what the, how much would we have to eat our words if ghosts were scientifically proven? We'd have to cover it on the podcast. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I don't find ghosts that scary. Do y'all find ghosts? Scary? Well, no, I don't believe I don't in them. I mean, no. In the no. least. Yeah. That's not a, that's why the stuff like the descent is scary. It's a creature. 
Yeah. Creatures, creatures exist. Creatures can kill you. Yeah, being down in a cave with something creepy down there. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. Just having somebody tripping around your house at night. Keep it down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what unfinished business. <laughs> yeah, I am generally. Do. Yeah. More affected by horror movies that are not supernatural. I like, give yeah. give me a crazed murderer. Yeah. The Exorcist does nothing for me as a scary Oh, me movie. neither. Like, I don't believe any of that stuff, so it, does, it doesn't yeah. connect to any childhood trauma with the Catholic Church. No, me neither. So and my, and my mother does suck cocks in hell, and I don't even, <laughs> I wasn't even affected. <laughs> um, I mean, it's more of like product placement. Yeah, if anything. <laughs> if anything. And I can't believe they named a town hell. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've, I, we actually vacation pretty close to Hell, Michigan. Uh, yeah, it's, there it's, is a there is it's a an unincorporated community in Livingston yeah, County. Well, she's out there. That's where Miss Miss Cases. Yeah. <laughs> she's out there. Um, yeah, no, The Exorcist. Yeah. I thought The Exorcist was stupid. Um, wasn't into that at all. Uh, I, the, I mean, I watched a documentary about exorcisms that I found way more terrifying. Just because. The people. Yeah, just because of the people that believe in the, like, I mean, it was, it was people that are severely mentally ill, um, being treated by, you know, religious fervor. And it was, everything about it was fucked up, you know? Yeah, that's the vibe of the church I, I grew up in. They were like, it wasn't Catholic. It was like four square Pentecostal, like screaming and yelling kind of church. And yeah, they were big into demon possession and this idea that there was constant spiritual warfare going on all around you between angels and demons. They could not be hornier for that bullshit. (laughs) And yeah, the people who... I love your spiritual warfare voice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm making it cooler than it deserves. Right. Are you Um, you trying to capture a ring? What are you doing? The people who they tagged as that, yeah, were clearly, looking back, so clearly uh, neurodivergent, uh, mentally ill, etc., um, that it it's really illuminating. It's really like, oh, that's kind of like Dark Ages shit. Yeah. You would be so... Well, I'll tell you, at one time, uh, sometimes things that uh, people that are that severely mentally ill that may need an exorcism do is um, they'll have sex with a dead body. Um... <laughs> Guys, did you know that there's a fungus that uh, lures male flies into having sex with dead females? I I didn't until Paul Muxworthy sent in this science.org article. Well, Paul, your notifications are weird, but I'm into it. Um, (laughs) Did you know? (laughs) Fly sex. (laughs) Uh, uh, This finding could lead to new ways to control fly populations. This is an article by uh, Eric Stockstad. Yep. Control them for good or ill. Yeah, if if you uh, see a dead housefly in a windowsill surrounded by a ghostly halo of tiny white spores, it's a death trap. The insect was invaded by a fungus that took over its brain, manipulating the fly to the highest perch it could. From there, the fungus launched its spores into the air to infect as many healthy flies as possible. Even weirder, males try to mate with dead fungus-swollen females. Now a study has revealed the fungus creates a love potion by releasing chemicals that lure flies to increase their chances of infection. The new, this new paper it pretty conclusively shows another way that the fungus helps to disseminate to new hosts, says Carolyn Elia, a molecular biologist and postdoctoral researcher at Harvard University who studied the fungus but was not involved. I mean, we don't need to know if she's dating anyone. It just uh, It's kind of <laughs> weird to throw that in there. Um, uh, they made a big step forward here. Prior to the study, because I've heard of this fungus, 
Um, but I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know about this. The sexy part. Prior to the study, some researchers had observed male house flies trying to mate with the corpses of females that had died of the fungus Endomophthora muscae. Um, it made sense that this kind of intimacy might help the fungus spread, but it wasn't clear whether the fungus somehow attracted the males. Enter Henrik de Feinlicht, an evolutionary <laughs> ecologist at the University of Copenhagen, and Andreas Naundrup Hansen, a PhD student. They tested whether the attraction is sexual and the fungus is luring he- healthy males to the dead females. So the first thing to do, they infected female flies with the fungus. And then just after they died, they placed one in a Petri dish. They placed them one by one in there. And each time, uh, they'd add a healthy male to the dish and record whether it uh, whether it fucked that female, you know? It says approached. It says approached in the article, <laughs> but we know what yeah, it means. And they, the, how long it spent nearby and whether it tried to mate. They did control experiments uh, that included uninfected females he had killed by freezing to death. Jesus. <laughs> All right, Henrik. Um, so th- yeah, from ve- from vegetables to yeah. flies, it's a slippery, slippery slope. slope. <laughs> yeah, froze it to death and then smashed with a hand. So uh, it says here the males were about five times as likely to try to jizz in the guts of that fem- of the dead female. The one that died oh, of the fungus. Pretty sure. Um, that that was actually the correct words in the, in yeah, the study. You get up in those guts. <laughs> don't don't go writing in. That's that's what the Harvard paper says. Well, this says. the Copenhagen pa- uh, paper says get up in them guts, and the Harvard paper says jizz in the guts. Um, right. So the team reported last month in a preprint study, sometimes vigorous mating let loose a cloud of spores, but even simple contact was enough to infect a healthy male. In another experiment, healthy males could choose between two dead females in the same dish, one infected and the other not. And then, more often than not, the males would try to get their nut on with, um, uh, they tried to mate more often compared with when neither female was infected, but they did not distinguish between the females. He suspects the fungus releases some sort of mating cue. It's almost like an aphrodisiac, maybe driving his sexual behaviors to a supernormal level. Level. Um... It's good to know if anyone wants to fuck a fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how terrifying would that be if you uh, uh, magnified that to human scale? This would be like <gasps> an amazing horror movie if that shit uh, oh. was afflicting. You could uh, absolutely human, human spray beings. that on someone as a hell of a prank. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that fungus, man, what's the one? It's like it causes them. Uh, yeah, they they. It just like takes over your. It's a bug, bug fungus, but it takes over your body, and you crawl to the highest point, and then it like spikes out of your head. Oh God! Do you know no. what I'm talking about? It's so creepy. No, Wait, humans. What are you no, talking? no. It's a no. There's another. I know what you're talking about, Jesse. I can't remember what bugs it afflicts or whatever. But yeah, it basically hijacks your brain and autopilots you to spread itself. Yeah, let me let me find uh, it. It's very well. Very. There creepy. was that. We did a story back in May about when brood X cicadas were coming out about that fungus that takes over their bodies and eats away their their genitals, and then it makes the infected cicadas want to mate with both males and females. Whoa! Mm. That was remember that story. What a world! Class I'm sure the stuff-afflicting bugs will never make the jump to <laughs> mammals, right? <laughs> yeah, that's never happened. We're that fine. doesn't happen. Um, yeah, cordyceps is what it's called, and. Cordyceps is uh, fucked up, man. That's a that's a messed up one. Hold on, here we go. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to find like an exact link here. Um, 
I'm just trying to find the name of it. <clears throat> yeah, the cordyceps. Okay, so I'll I'll send a let me put a link in the thing. There we go. Um yeah, it makes them crawl to the highest. It takes over their body. They go to the highest point they can. And then it like this giant spike spore thing comes out of their fucking oh head. Oh my god, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I mean, is it, let's, is it flies? Uh, this is ants. That's right. Yeah, this one is ants. But it's also this is where we turn. It's also bees Sorry, and stuff. Ahead. Yeah, um, cordyceps. Um, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as always. Yeah, yeah, it's a you can have a look at this horrendous picture yourself. Yeah, it's really crazy. Yeah, it's a terrifying thing. Um, I first saw that and and I was like, yeah, that's that'd be like the scariest thing if that was a human, you know, body snatcher situation. Um. They were onto something with the spores. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Absolutely. Uh, so let's get full Joe Rogan on this. Uh, fungus, fungi are aliens uh, sent to us from uh, our simulation overlords. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. What, Joe Rogan? Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Did you see the news about him today? Speaking no. of Stu. Speaking of science. No, <laughs> no I didn't. I, oh, I'll, boy. Let, I'll let you guys Google that yourselves. We don't have to. Buckle up. Yeah. Well, it's, there's something crazy, something crazier. It's, I mean, it's, it was making the rounds in the Twitter sphere that I guess Joe Rogan just said he could, he's so flexible he can uh, auto-fillate. Oh. So oh, hey, you know what's weird that, that's uh, kind of related? You know you can buy human bones on Amazon? Specifically <laughs> ribs. You can buy ribs. <laughs> Um, wow. To make it more difficult. To make it more difficult yeah, to blow. Exactly. Yeah, I added. I had to add ribs, so I'd quit sucking my own dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's like painting. It's like painting. Putting that stuff on a kid's thumb that makes it taste bad, so they won't suck yeah. their thumb. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. putting on your rib vest to keep you from blowing <laughs> yeah. yourself. He won't stop. Um. Wait. So Joe. Oh yeah, Joe Rogan. Uh, yeah, he said he's so flexible he can. He uh, says he can. Uh, he can blow himself. Interesting. Cool dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's my fault for taking it there. I'm no, sorry. It's just, Whatever. It's Everyone just... heard it. It was in the news. Everyone heard it. Yeah. yeah no, it's just that's interesting. Huh. I wonder what. Uh, I mean, like, why did he say? Like, who gives a shit? What? When you're successful and self-assured, you want people to know that you can blow yourself. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um oh wait oh th- i think it also just ups the state for anyone else who's trying to blow him because you're like well you know what's wi- you better make okay, this so good here's because i don't need you joe rogan <laughs> says he could he could uh he could suck his own di- this is quote suck his own dick if i wanted to but that he's never actually done it which that's weirder <laughs> okay that's weird okay what yeah he's yeah. just like bopping himself on the nose with it or <laughs> that's, something that's right. way weirder sure. to have never done it if you could do it <laughs> He's such a tease. That's way weirder. <laughs> Why wouldn't you do it? Why, of course you would do it. I'm starting to think he might not be that truthful of a Yeah, person. I'm starting to think he can't do it. I don't know. But imagine being that insecure that, like, you could admit to that, but or that you want to brag about that, but you think, like, you'd get, you know, judged in some, like, middle school way if you said you had done it. Like, yeah, which exactly. obviously oh, you I have. never would. Like, I mean, no, well, I don't masturbate. Yeah, huh? Gross, no, it's it's like giving a dude a hand job. I'm not going to masturbate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I. Oh, God. He's married? <laughs> what the fuck? 
Why am I looking at this guy? Why am I looking up this podcast guy and our better podcast? Guys, let's get back to our... Uh, what, okay. what else yep. is going on? What's our... Do we have one more yeah, good one let's here? Go. Um, well, there's a big, what? there is a big uh, physics story All right. that is a tricky All one. Right. Uh, we can do it, yeah. but it involves neutrinos, and I don't fully understand it. Oh, it's actually from, oh, a, from a week or two ago. Well, let's do it, and then we'll uh, do, a, uh, do yeah. a Patreon thing real quick there, and then um, we'll let Andrew get back to his, his uh, games. <laughs> this is... <laughs> yeah, that's what we're calling it. Mm. <laughs> Gotta work on this flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Andrew, yeah, what, what made you turn, uh, start making your own games? I think like, playing. I started to play a uh, wider variety of board games, and then I would. And you're like, like, I could do a better job of this myself. I think yeah, I can. Uh, that is actually like I'd come across a rule where I'd be like, I feel like the game would actually play better if the rule was like this, and you could start tinkering with that. And then once you realize, like, oh, there's no like barrier from from you changing these things, then I was like, I could just make my own stuff. I mean, do you have any background in graphic design and, and, and do you prototype it all yourself or you have to outsource all of it? Uh, for graphic design, I outsource that to a g terrific uh, illustrator I know. But I do the prototypes in terms of them just being like black and white text based. I try to make all the my playtesting prototypes are they don't have like graphics or, or right, any right. of that. They're just like, do they just have the text description because if the game is fun to play that way then boom it's like that's what i want if it if it's only fun because the art is cool yeah, uh, it's not. then i i that's not what i said that's, that makes do. sense that's smart um, it's like when when chris rock tries out material uh he doesn't perform it properly if you've ever been like undersells a, it? A, if you yeah if you'd ever been like in a new york comedy club and chris rock drops in to run in material he just sort of almost reads it in like emotionlessly off a page just because he wants to know that the jokes that they're oh. laughing at the jokes and not at chris rock being chris rock Interesting. right right yeah 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 i want i want the games to perform on a mechanical level before they get the frosting on the cake <laughs> <laughs> so a new chapter in physics has opened according to scientists who've been searching for a vital building block of the universe mm. a major experiment has been used to search for an elusive subatomic particle a key component of the matter that makes up our everyday lives. I don't know why I needed to say our everyday lives. It makes up everything. But the search failed to find the particle known as the sterile neutrino, mm. which will now direct physicists towards even more interesting theories to help explain how the universe came to be. So this is a rare case where the failure of an experiment has actually moved on science rather than the other way around. I guess not that rare a case, but it doesn't seem to happen as much as it should do. The, so Professor Mark Thompson, the executive chair of the Science and Technology Facilities Council, and, and, who funds it in And the by UK, the way, that means uh, that means the head of – he's not a chair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't He's not clear. like a desk chair, like an executive. Like an, This is like a human. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's – <laughs> It's not a Poopy's Playhouse situation. Thank back to this podcast. Yes. Andrew, you know, I was needed. I was the, – the people the, – the upwards of seven people requested this. <laughs> <laughs> We, we've had a lot of lovely emails coming through from this. So thank you very much for people who send emails and messages saying that you're ha you're happy and excited to see Jesse uh, yeah, back. Please don't, great yes, don't forward any of the hate mail, please. I, uh, too, <laughs> that's a train. You guys hearing it? That is yeah, a train. Right by your house, right? Yeah, but it's going to it's gonna get louder. It's going to get crazy. <laughs> Jesus. So before it gets too loud, uh, Mark Thompson, the chair, says this is pretty exciting. 
It's because a sizable proportion of physicists have been developing their theories on the basis that the neutrino exists, or at least it's a possibility. It's been out there for a long time and generated lots of interest, says Professor Thompson. But the result is really interesting because it has an influence on emerging theories in particle physics and cosmology. The, the Microboon Experiment is what it's called, and it's based at the US Fermi National Accelerator Lab, the Fermi Lab in, uh, in Illinois. <laughs> but physicists... What's Physicist. so funny about that? It's watching, watching Matt briefly pause and say, I can't pronounce that fucking town. And then just saying, in yep, Illinois. Batavia. <laughs> yeah, if you were reading along with the article, you would have said, Batavia, Batavia, Batavia uh, Illinois. Illinois. Who, the, who the fuck yeah. needs, it's just near yeah, Chicago. Who, it's somewhere near Chicago. That's all you need to know. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go to There's Chicago. There's a Batavia in New York also. Yeah, and put, like, ask a taxi driver to take you to the Fermi lab, there, and there you then go. you'll be there. So, neutrinos are ghostly subatomic particles that permeate the universe, but barely interact with the everyday world around us. Every second, billions of them pass right through Earth and right through us. Neutrinos come in three known types or flavors, the electron, muon, and tau. In 1998, Japanese researchers discovered that neutrinos change from one flavor to another as they travel. And that can't be explained currently by the, by the current big theory of atomic physics, the standard model. Some physicists believe that finding out why the neutrino has such a tiny mass, which is what allows them to change flavor, would give them a deeper understanding of how the universe works and how it came into being. So, this gets into the current theories of... Antimatter. Uh, antimatter. Yeah, because this is uh, one of the biggest mysteries. We, we talked about this in past episodes with when we've had real physicists on. But one of the biggest mysteries of the universe and of particle physics is the asymmetry between antimatter and matter like why why is there more matter because if antimatter and matter collide they eliminate each other so there has to be some kind of asymmetry for there to be anything in its exist- existence and why is that and they don't know well it's um the you know there's this flavor changing right um, and as they say, in the 1990s, an experiment called the Liquid Scintillator Neutrino Detector Experiment at the U.S. Department of Energy's Los Alamos Labs uh, saw the production of more electron neutrinos than could be explained by the three neutrino uh, flavor theory. Um, that result was confirmed by a separate experiment in 2002. So that led physicists to uh, propose the existence of a fourth type of neutrino called the sterile neutrino. And they believe this form of the particle could explain the overproduction of electron neutrinos and, crucially, give an insight into why the particles change flavor. And then they uh, they gave it a big go here at the flip lid or whatever the fuck in uh, Illinois, and they're like, it doesn't work. It's not real. Jesus. That that By the, by the way, that, that threw me for a second reading it, because it was written weirdly, the previous bit that I read out. It was written, so the three flavors... Where it says electron, that's electron neutrino. It's not the same as an electron. Right. Yeah. Because when I read that, I was like, I don't think an electron is a neutrino. It it can't be. It's too. The whole point of a neutrino is it's almost impossible to detect. And electrons you detect, you can detect by rubbing a balloon on a sweater. So <laughs> that's, that's got to be. But no, they are different things. The electron and the electron neutrino are two very different things. Oh. Yeah. Neutrinos. I think one of the definitions is they're irreducible. Um, so they can't be unlike an electron or a proton or something like they can't be split. It's beyond, it's beyond splitting an atom. Um, they're among neutrinos are among the 17 odd irreducible building blocks of the world around us. I think actually though, 
an electron an electron is also a fundamental particle just looking this up okay. so an actual okay. electron also can't be split but a proton can okay but a neutrino also cannot yes okay Guys, just to contribute, Neutrino sounds like a pet food company to me. No, I mean, that's a good... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Think about that. Think about that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, Neutrino would be like... Um, it's like a subscription plan for, like, dog smoothies. Yeah, exactly. And it's it does... the kind of thing people in L.A. would pay through the ass for. Yeah, so. and they currently come in three flavors, but a yeah. fourth flavor has been posited. They've theorized the, the, chicken, chicken, the chicken and lamb, the chicken and lamb neutrino might have just been discovered. Yeah, <laughs> so this full, full flavor called the sterile neutrino was, was theorized, which could explain the overproduction of electron neutrinos and give an insight into how they change flavors. But... Uh, and they were named sterile neutrinos because they're predicted not to interact with matter at all, whereas other neutrinos can, although very rarely. Detecting a sterile neutrino would have been a bigger discovery in subatomic physics than the Higgs boson, because unlike other forms of neutrino and the Higgs particle, it's not part of the current standard mo model of physics. So a team involving nearly 200 scientists from five countries designed and built this micro-booster neutrino experiment, or microboon, that's why it's called that, to find it, it consists of 150 tons of hardware in a space that's the size of a lorry. It's, that's a truck to yeah. the American listeners. Thank you. Its, it's detectors are highly sensitive. Its observations of the subatomic world have been likened to looking at ultra-high definition, but the experiment showed no hint of this sterile neutrino. So now they it's the beginning of a new chapter in particle physics, mm. where they might need to re- like rejig their their theories. Get it together. Yeah, these neutrinos are very hard to uh, to find. If you were looking for a neutrino, it'd be difficult. But uh, Andrew, if people were looking for you, where could they find you? Uh, <laughs> these segues, they... award-winning segues. People wanted to find uh, um... Andrew Orvidal. What, what could they? Uh, you could find me if you're interested in my my game stuff. You could check out occupiedhex.com. Um, that's where all my game news is and if you're interested in my comedy pfft, who gives a shit uh <laughs> ah yes you can find me on social media at the orbital and my show is on hbo max if you want to watch my sitcom those who can't that's oh, yeah, right so we forgot to mention that HBO that's max. a great show and yeah it's stars all of the garlics who created it as well but also a bunch of past guests on the show friends of the show pop up all over it very great very it's, yeah, it's a great time right now for for shows that were on like more harder to reach platforms in the past now being very easily streamed, and that is one of the ones yeah. I've taken the most yeah. joy during COVID in catching up on all the ones yeah. I haven't seen. No, so. uh, I think our show would have done so much better had it been streamed from the get go. But it is what it is, and at least now people can stream. No, it's a great yeah. show where Andrew uh, essentially plays himself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you want to see how intelligent? <laughs> no, you want to no. see where these cool <laughs> observations come no. from? Check out the show. No, it's, man, it was like the funniest character. It's so funny, um, and so many people you know in comedy make appearances throughout. It's yeah, it's such a great show. Those who can't, yeah, go, it's, go a, it's it cameo fest, um, and also the Grolic saves the world, right. which is your podcast and is great. Thank you, thank you. Yep, and yeah, you, any of those, any of those are good. Um, yeah, we've never done a science challenge on Grolic Saves the World, but we should. We should do something because we're the three of us are pretty stupid, so we should do something. Get on these neutrinos. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's your challenge to find a neutrino. <laughs> yeah. We will determine this fourth neutrino. <laughs> the bummer, one of the saddest side effects of COVID is you, you literally can't taste any neutrinos. Mm-hmm. Once you get bummer, it, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, guys, I want to tease. Uh, we're not going to cover this story now, but um, just keep mark on your calendar, everybody who's into fun space stuff and things that have to do with past guests. Uh, on December, on November twenty fourth. Let's see if that's correct. Uh, the Dart, the double asteroid redirection test mission, is going to be launched, which is basically real life Armageddon, and we're hoping to get. Uh, my friend Deepak back on the show to talk about it, but just maybe we can November briefly 24th. talk about that in the uh, in the bonus show as well. well think, and by well, the way, we're going to do a full. Oh, go just ahead. hearing the sounds in the background, is someone having Christmas? Is Santa suddenly here? <laughs> Those are huskies, right? It's a husky. No, I had nothing going on over here. Are you serious? <laughs> Who said yeah. ghosts are podcast? Who said the podcast haunted? Real? What's happening? I yeah, heard it wasn't it. on this end. You, what, what was it? It sounded like some rattling chains. You know. <laughs> could have, I guess it could have been my dog's collar. I'm probably so uh, immune to it at this point. Oh, okay. Um, he, yeah, he's got a jangly collar. Yeah, that's right. I think I think that for sure has to be. Yeah, he's staring, <laughs> he's staring at me right now like he's guilty. So <laughs> fair enough. So so Dart is coming. When's Dart again? What's the date? November twenty fourth. So we'll we'll get time to get an episode. Um, I'm hoping with Deepak out before that happens. You'll have all the context to uh, track that mission as it goes. But yeah, I mean, basically, it is. You know, Armageddon. It's it's trying to redirect the path of an asteroid, uh, so that we would know if we have that capability in the future, if we actually have and to it, employ it for Earth saving reasons. And Deepak, just to to remind our listeners, is your old college roommate who is currently in the process of training a gang of roughnecks. <laughs> yeah. Some... People are flipping up welding masks left and right to make sure this thing comes to fruition. Yeah, so. yeah you got to put the team back together, guys. You got to do it. Um, and speaking of the team, you can find this team at probablyscience.com, on Twitter at probablyscience, individually at Andy T. Wood, at Jesse Case, and at Matt Kirshen. Probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you'd like us to cover. Uh, probablyscience.com is also where we put all of the show notes, the links to the stories we cover, and our Patreon and PayPal links. Thank you very much, everyone, who heaps could, helps keep the show going by using those links and also everyone who helps spread the word by telling people about our show and writing nice things about us on the internet we appreciate you all and we appreciate Andrew Olvidal for joining us thanks so much man thank you for having me thanks Andrew listeners see you next time bye bye